All right, good morning, church. Uh, great to be here with you and all of those joining us at our campuses and online. We are going to talk today further about the fruit of the Spirit, our summer series that we are in. Before I do, I just want to remind you of something that's really important to us here at Three Circle, and that is the concept and the practice of small groups. We're a church that really believes in that. Uh, when I came here to be the pastor 11 years ago, one of the first things I did is start a group, me and my wife, and with some other great couples. And uh, the reason we do that, and the reason we're so big on groups is because we kind of have this catchphrase that we really believe. The best dirt in which to grow a disciple is the dirt of community. Now, I can talk like that as I grew up on a farm, okay? I know all about growing stuff in dirt, and soil matters. It really does. And so the best way to grow a disciple, and, and, and at, at Three Circle, we don't just win people to Jesus. We also want to grow them in Jesus. And for all of us, me included, I'm in that same dirt. It's community. It's small groups. But small groups, as great as they are, they require leaders, leaders. And so I want to just challenge you today here and at all of our campuses, by the way, if you're at Robertsdale, Thomasville, wherever you are right now, and you feel like maybe God's nudging you, leading you to start your own small group, even if you're in a great one right now, I know that out of our group, people have said, man, I feel like we need to do a group. And we're so glad when that happens, because as our church grows at all campuses, we need more Christian community. So it's going to take more leaders. If you're even willing to have that conversation here or at any campus, check out that meeting. Okay. The one you see on the screen here, the one you see on your screens at every campus, and it's on the back of your handout you got today, all the information about that meeting that you can go to and go, Hey, what would it look like for us, for me to maybe lead my own group? Uh, we want to see that happen. And I hope that many of you, will. I'd love to see 20, 30 new folks from this campus say, yes, we would love to do that. And at every other campus would love people to stand up and go, yep, I want to do that. All right. So let's dive into the word of God today. We are talking about the fruit of the spirit introduced to us in concept by Jesus himself. Jesus talking to his disciples said, I want you to bear much fruit. So he gives us the visual of our Christian lives being like a fruit tree and, and he wants to see the fruit and he wants to see a lot of it. And then he quickly lets them and us know you can't do it on your own. You will not produce the fruit on your own. And then we turn the pages of the New Testament and we get to Galatians and the apostle Paul further explains the concept that Jesus introduced. And Paul says that thing Jesus was talking about, here's what it is. Now, a few things I want to remind you of before we read our verse we'll read every week all summer in Galatians is that, uh, first of all, what Paul is writing down here for us is not mysterious. It's simply the character of Jesus himself on paper. So Jesus modeled every bit of this for us. We'll show you that every single week. And then I also want you to see that it is singular. The fruit of the Spirit's not plural, it's singular. When you become a Christian, you get out all of that inside of you. And then what God does the rest of your Christian life is he pulls it out of you so that it's more visible, more prominent, and he grows it all at the same time. This is a part of the Christian life. And so let's go to Galatians now to the word of the Lord and see what it says. Paul writes, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. Okay, let's dive in. The first thing you need to see is that word but at the beginning of this phrase is pointing you backwards. We looked at it a few weeks ago. Paul starts this section by saying you have two things going on if you're a Christian. If you're a non-Christian, you only have one of them going on, and here it is. The first thing you have is the works of the flesh. We all have that. 
You don't need God's help for that. You can produce the works of the flesh on your own. And he gave us a list of those things. And you just do that naturally. We're all pretty much elite at the works of the flesh on our own. But when you become a Christian, something new happens inside of you, begins to become more prominent, and it's this, the fruit of the Spirit. And we looked at love and joy the first two weeks. Love is agape love, not love like uh, romance or emotional. No, this is a type of love specific that God produces in us where we choose to love even when it's hard and we act on our love. Jesus modeled it on the cross for us. And then last week we looked at joy, the difference in joy and happiness. You can chase happy your whole life and, and, and never find joy. Joy stays when happiness leaves. I can get happy with a good cheeseburger, a great steak, or a good ride at a, at a park. But joy is something different that God gives us. He puts it inside of us and he grows it in our lives. And today we're going to look at peace. Now, just like all the other words, peace, we're going to see Jesus modeled it. And we're going to see that the definition of it biblically is probably different than what we kind of throw around in our own lingo, in our own lives, in our own lexicon. So what does the Bible mean when it says peace? Because we throw peace around. We say things like, let's make peace. Let's keep the peace. And when you look at how we use the word peace, it, it tends to have the, the definition of when everything's good. Like peace is the absence of war. Peace is the absence of bad things happening. Peace is the absence of the news. On and on it goes. But the Bible's going to give us something different. So let's, let's get our working biblical definition. Here we go. Peace. From the Bible standpoint, is kind of three components that happen at one time. Right standing with God. Peace with God. A supernatural inward calm for the believer. And the ability to bring harmony, peace to relationships and relational situations. And what happens is they are sequential but they're almost simultaneous, like it all comes at you uh, when you become a Christian. Peace with God just naturally goes to, begins the peace inside of you that naturally comes out into peace with others. We become people of peace because we've been made at peace with the God of peace. Okay, so, so how does that, how, how do we make that distinct from our kind of normal, general ideas of peace? And I always want to give you an illustration to help you. So let me help you by this. So a few years back, I got to do a dream trip of mine. I, I love the outdoors, and my favorite movie ever, number one on my list, is A River Runs Through It. If you've never seen it, you know, have a nice afternoon and tell me how awesome you think it is. I just love, I love fatherhood. I love everything about that movie. And um, Robert Redford, uh, I believe, was the director. It's got a young Brad Pitt in it, and it's really cool. Okay, I'm done telling you about the movie anyway. So I got to go fly fishing in the Grand Tetons. I got to go to... Jackson Hole and fly fish underneath the shadow of the Grand Tetons on the Snake River. It was unbelievable, man. Now, that day, here's what happened. So right at the beginning of the trip, I took this picture with my iPhone. That's the river I'm about to go down. And I was so excited. Like, We're going to fish there. And when you look at that picture, that serene, natural nature picture, it's beautiful skies, it's, it's uh, beautiful trees, like it doesn't get much prettier than that, the river's per, everything's perfect. You look at that and you might be tempted to say, that is a picture of peace, and it's not. That is a picture of peaceful, peaceful conditions. That's peaceful conditions. But that is not what the Bible, bless you, that's not what the Bible calls peace. That's peaceful conditions. Now, let me tell you what happened. Because peaceful conditions can change. 
And God's given you something greater than that. So on that day, I started. And for six and a half hours of an eight-hour trip, my day looked like that. And we were catching fish. Man, I felt like the Orvis magazine guys were going to come around the corner at any time and start taking pictures. I mean, we were having a blast. Me and my good friend were fishing. We had a guide in the middle. <clears throat> but out west, things change fast. And there's something about, you know, our storms are, we kind of have, we have a certain type of storm that hits us here in our area. And they have a certain type. And their storms are more electrically charged for some reason. Like violently. So we're fishing in the canyons of the Snake River around the Tetons. We're down in these canyons. And out of nowhere, like a rifle goes off. And, and it was lightning. And when you're in a canyon that's like all of the acoustics going on, it's the loudest thing I've ever heard. And I thought, for a split second, I thought, I'm dead. This is how it went down. I'm dead. I mean, it felt like it was on top of me. It was, and then once it started, literally, it's like 4th of July in the canyons. I mean, it's just boom, boom, boom. It won't stop lightning everywhere. Violent lightning. And immediately, me and my buddy, you know, I mean, you're sitting there with a fishing rod. It's like, hit me, hit me next. That's how you feel. So we're like hunkered down in the boat like this. We're both praying. I can hear the Lord's prayer. My Father, my Lord in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, will be done. Fastest ever, right? Because it started looking like that. See, conditions change quick, don't they? See, it wasn't peaceful anymore. And, and we often think peace is the picture of peaceful conditions, but watch this. Let me tell you what happened next. So this is happening. That's actually a picture of lightning in the Tetons. It really is. And you could peek up and look, and you could see the lightning hitting the side of the canyons and the mountains, and it would just explode. It was unbelievable. And we were terrified. But I noticed my guide's just like... Because <laughs> they don't have an engine, so he's like paddling. The engine is the river. You're in the national park, no engines. So he leans back. I'm in the back of the boat. My buddy's in the front. He leans back and says, you know you got nothing to worry about, right? And I said, tell me more, <laughs> oh, teacher, because I think I'm going to die. I'm back here thinking of a way to let my family know, you know, hey, I love you. Um, he says, well, think about it. He said, you're the lowest point out here. You're in the bottom of the canyon. You don't see any lightning coming down here. It, like there would have to be someone throwing the lightning at you, aiming at you, because science tells you there's a billion other things for it to hit. You're in the bottom of the canyon. Everything's above you. He said, look where it's hitting. It's hitting the top of the mountains. It's not coming down in the canyon. It's not going to get you. You're the lowest point. Like it's science. I'm starting to relax a little bit. And then he looks back at me and says, and he said, we've been doing this for 40 years, our company. He said, if you get hit by lightning today in this boat, you will be the first guy ever to get hit by lightning. When he said that, I thought, you know what? You're right. And I whipped that fly rod back out, and it's popping everywhere. My friend in the front of the boat's like, if, that, if we're gonna, one of us are going to be the first one, it's going to be you and not me. He just stayed down with his rod. He's like, you go ahead, bro. And I started fishing, and I had a blast. Now watch what changed? The storm did not change. I fished for a solid hour in the most violent lightning storm I've ever been in in my life. The storm didn't change. I did. I did. That God gave me something that changed me. He could not stop the storm. He didn't even try. He changed me in the storm. So if you think the first one, look at this, remember, that's fine. That's peaceful conditions. That changes all the time. That's what the world offers you. But God offers you peace in the middle of this. He offers you that. 
That is what we're talking about. That's the difference. That's the separation point. Okay, so let's dive into what the Bible means when it talks about peace. And again, we looked at them, right? God, ourselves inside, and, and those around us. Let's just go down the list. The Holy Spirit produces this peace in us, by the way. At salvation, he keeps growing it, and the first piece of it is peace with God. You may not realize it, but if you're not in Christ, you're not at peace with God. Things are not cool. Now, you might get fooled into thinking they are cool because the common grace of God is so good and so powerful that it'll almost make you think everything's good between you and God, man. But it's not. The Bible says he's just good. So he lets the rain fall on the wicked and the sunrise on the wicked like he does everyone else because he's just good like that. But that don't think your secondary enjoyment of his goodness means you have a relationship with him. The Bible says apart from Christ, we're enemies of God. We are volatile towards God. And we need peace. And to have eternal life, we must have peace made for us between the living God and us humans. Paul wrote about it in Colossians 1.19. He said this, For in him, Jesus, and now we get the deity of Christ settled, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is God. Verse 20. And through him, everybody say through him. Not through anything we can do. Here's how we got peace with God. It was through Jesus. God decided to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Here it is, making, what's the word? Peace. He made peace by the blood of his cross. Now that is a contrast if I've ever seen one. Because you've got the most violent, horrific thing ever. The living son of God nailed and tortured to a cross. That's what it took for peace to be made between us and the living God. The cost of our peace with God was dreadfully high. But we were so valued that he paid it so that we could have peace. And look, if you don't think it's talking about you, because sometimes as Christians we forget who we were without Jesus... I love that Paul says, and you, you see that? And you, and here's our condition apart from Christ, who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. So let's not pretty it up. We like to pretty it up, right? I was less fulfilled without Jesus. No, you weren't. You were a volatile, rebellious, hateful sinner. Boy, let's put that on a billboard. We'll really explode the growth of this church. But that's what he said. He said, all of us Christians, here's who we really were, alienated. We were separated. We were hostile in our mind. We did evil deeds. But, verse 22, he has now reconciled, and he did it in his own body of flesh, by his own death. He reconciled. He made peace between us and God. And in order to present you and I as holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Folks, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, what in the world would keep you from saying yes to this king and this savior? Today, not tomorrow, today. If I were you, I would run to him. If I were you, I would crawl if I had to to get to the foot of the cross of that king who bids you come and be made whole. Shalom, peace with God. Now only he can do that. And what happens like a cascade is once we have peace with God, the Holy Spirit is in us and this thing starts happening inside of us. We get peace with ourselves. You get peace with yourself, which may be one of the hardest places to get it because I don't know about you, 
but the slipperiest pig I've ever seen to wrestle down is the one looking at me in the mirror every day. That was a farm illustration. If you're from like suburbia, Ohio, you're like, what is he talking about? The guy that's hardest to deal with is me. I'm the one. I'm the moodiest. I'm the weakest. I'm the one most apt to blow my top. I'm the one. I'm my problem most of the time. I'm going to be honest with you. And so God promises that he's going to do some work in me. He's going to change me. The storm didn't change that day on the river. I did. God did something in us when we become saved. He doesn't change the world around us. The conditions are still rough, but we are different. Look what it says, Philippians 4, 7. The peace of God, his peace, which surpasses all understanding, will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful picture. What it does not say is that it will guard our bodies. It says it'll guard our hearts and our minds. Your body is in this physical world. He does not say that he'll manage the conditions. It doesn't say that it'll be beautiful every day and that the fish are going to be biting and the boat's going to be steady and the water's going to be serene. He says, but what I will guard is your spirit, your heart, your soul, and your mind, where you think, where you worry, where you're anxious, where you're happy, where you're joyful, where you're mad, where where your heart breaks. That, That part of you, he says, I will guard that. In Christ Jesus, because I will give you peace. And I love this. The Apostle Paul makes a a confession here. Rare for a guy of his caliber. He says, it surpasses all understanding. Do you know how hard it would be for a man of his intellect to admit that? Watch this now. No one's ever been better at explaining theology than Paul. Paul was smart. He was God, like God supernaturally gifted this guy. Think about Romans. He breaks down salvation for us in Romans, the Mount Everest, in my opinion, of the Bible. He, he, he breaks down the gifts of the Spirit in the Corinthians. He tells us what love really is in one of the most majestic pieces of human literature ever. It's not human literature, actually. It's God-breathed scripture when he told us what love is. But Paul comes to something here that he says... I can't explain this one. Look what he says. Peace that comes from God surpasses all understanding. He says, as smart as I am. And Paul was more than willing to tell you he was. Just read his writings. He's like, oh, was the best of the Pharisees. He says, I can't explain this one. Charles Spurgeon noticed it. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher of the 1800s, He said, what Paul's telling us here is that the peace of God is so special, so great, that it's much more easily experienced than it is explained. Spurgeon said that. Have you ever tried to explain something to someone and you got halfway into it and you thought, you know what, you're just going to have to go see it for yourself. You ever ever had that happen? It's just like trying to explain to you what it was like being on that river that day. I can't tell you what it felt like to be fishing and look up and see a herd of majestic elk on the side of these mountains. I, I can try, but, but I, would, I would much rather get you in the boat and go show you. Because I can't tell you what all that feels like at one time. I wish I could tell you what it feels like to be looking in the water and you can see the trout coming from eight feet away. And then because you're not a great angler, you miss it. I can't tell you. you got to go experience that, <laughs> which was more, 
That was the thing. My guy just kept going. Mm. I just, I'd hear him up there. Mm. Mm. Paul says, I'll try. But this thing God does inside of you is so great. It's so powerful. It's so life-changing. Paul says, it surpasses all understanding. But you can experience. You'll know it when you feel it. So let me, let me ask. Don't leave me hanging. How many of you Christians in this room or online or at a campus would say, I can't explain it either, but I know what he's talking about. How many of you say, I know what he's talking about. I got you. I know exactly what Paul's talking about because many of us have been there. You've been in some storms before that shook you to your core and any other day and any other person would have been destroyed by it, but there was something in you and the storm never stopped raging, but God did something in you and you were still standing at the end and you knew, you knew in your heart, you could have never done that on your own and you knew God had done something in you. That's the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. Paul says, I can't explain it, but there it is, the peace of God. It happens inside of us, and then it leads to, it cascades quickly to peace with others. That thing that happens in us because of what's happened between us and God begins to extend. This is where the fruit is most visible to others. You'll see it inside yourself, but when it starts popping out on the tree and others start seeing the fruit of peace, is your relationship with others, because life is innately relational. Once again, this is a very Pauline sermon today as we're coming from a lot of his writing. In Romans, he says this, and I love how careful he is with the language. Of course, the Holy Spirit wrote this through him, so we understand why the accuracy is so pronounced. But he says this, if possible, now, the reason he says, if possible, is because you can't force someone else to be at peace with you. Do you understand that? So he says, if possible. And then he says this, so far as it depends on you. So we are absolutely going to be held accountable to do our part. As Christians that have been given this peace inside of us, we are commanded to carry that into every room and carry that into every argument and carry that into every situation. Okay. He says, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with people who agree with you theologically and politically. No, no, no. Live peaceably with all. Do you see that? When God does something between himself and us through the cross, peace, and then he does something inside of us, guarding us with peace. He expects and he will push it on out of us that we'll start to live peaceably with peace with others. Marriage starts looking different. Home looks different. That's where it starts. Church starts looking different than home, work. But all, it starts looking different. It's fruit. The world can see it. They get drawn to Jesus through it. And then he goes further. He says, how this is going to look is... You're going to relax a little bit. He says, beloved, don't avenge yourselves. Leave it to the wrath of God. It's written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, so he says, instead of all that, here's what you're going to start doing since you got peace. When your enemy is hungry, you're going to feed him. And you wouldn't do that normally, but you know how you'll be able to do it? Because you now have peace. You took that peace with you. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. By doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. What this is, is you're just making it very visible, this fruit inside of you. Do not overcome by evil, overcome evil with good. And you look at that and you go, that is impossible. 
Yes, it is. It is impossible, which is why when it happens, and it will in the life of a real Christian, you realize, I couldn't have done that. The world doesn't change around you. You change in it. People are still hard to deal with and still mean and still bitter and the news is still bad and stuff still happens and God changes you and drops you right in the middle of all that to show the world, kind of like he did with Israel. Took this one little country and dropped it into this area with all these pagan nations and he said, look at them. Look at them. That's why it was so important that they live out his commands because someone had to show them. And with Christians, he drops us into workplaces and he drops us into schools and he drops us into communities. And he wants the world to see him in us, his peace. The fruit of this peace we're talking about is only produced as we walk with Jesus. Because as fun as it would be for all of us to go out and try to work at being more peaceful, we can't do it apart from Jesus. It's not like you can go out and take peace lessons. Go get a peace instructor. So you can get better at peace. No, this can only be produced by getting close to Jesus. He said it in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches. He does not say whoever works hard at this. He does not say whoever commits to this. Now I can say that to my son who runs track and, and high jumping and what he does on the track field. I can say, bud, if you will work this, do these exercises, you can get better at that. I can say it to my baseball player kid. I can say, hey, if you'll work on your stance and work on all that, you'll become better. I can say it to my daughter who plays basketball. Hey, if you work, you work at it, you get better. You put in the work, you'll get better. That's not how this works. Jesus says, nope, this is not a go get lessons, go practice thing. This is a you get close to me, walk with me, and you'll start seeing the fruit. That's how it works. Very counterintuitive for us achievers in the room. But this is how he says it works. And he says, I want you to bear much fruit, and apart from me, you can do nothing. You won't pull this off. In fact, we need to go back and complete an idea that we started, okay, because I quoted to you Philippians 4.7 earlier. But Philippians 4.7 was never meant to stand alone. Those numbers were put in by other people so we could organize. And it's very helpful, by the way. It's not a bad thing. Paul wrote it as a letter. So really what we did with those two verses is we separated two thoughts. And too often one gets quoted without the other. It happens all the time. It's just a byproduct of the numbers. Okay? But what will help you not miss stuff like this is really looking close. And what did, go back to Philippians 4.7. What's the first word? You see it on your paper, you see it online, see it everybody, and. And is telling you something, it's saying, I'm a hinge, I got two doors swinging on me. You're not gonna understand this door, unless you understand this door, follow me? So let's go back, let's put them together. Let's get our swinging doors here so they work correctly. Here we go, Philippians 4, six and seven. So before, like if you wanna know how do I get that peace that passes all understanding, it says this, verse six. Don't be anxious about anything. That's the opposite of this peace God gives us. Watch this. But in everything by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. Mine's in Christ Jesus. You see that? Watch. When Jesus said, abide in me, you go, what does he mean? Paul just told you. What Jesus meant by abide in me is pray about everything with all supplication and thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. That is abiding in Jesus. That means I become a person of prayer. 
That means I get close to Jesus. I get in his word and it's a consistent part of my life. And when that happens, the peace came into me when I, was a, when I became a Christian, but it becomes more pronounced when I spend time with Jesus. That's when it grows. That's the fertilizer. That's the watering schedule. And Paul says, you will begin to experience the peace that is in you when you, with gratitude, build a relationship with Jesus. When you pray to him. When instead of worrying about everything, you bring your needs to him. When you bring supplication with gratitude, it it begins to change you. You become different when you hang out with Jesus. That's how it is produced. The Bible tells us that Jesus, this peace that we get, Jesus gives us the peace that belongs to him. It's his peace. Now, this is really, really cool stuff, okay? Because when Jesus said that to his disciples, you got to understand the disciples had watched Jesus so much, like they asked him, would you please teach us how to pray? Like they, because they, they watched Jesus up close and they were amazed by him. Don't miss that. I mean, they were in a boat with him one night where they all thought, we're going to die tonight. We are dying. The boat is sinking and Jesus is napping. He modeled peace. That's what it looks like for someone to be at complete peace with themselves and God. Jesus was that and like nothing bothered him. So can you imagine when they're like, and they were mad. Do you remember? They were kind of mad with Jesus. They wake him up. They're like, you really? Like, really? Can you imagine Jesus Stop. That's all it was. Peace be still. And the disciples really quickly went from being a little annoyed with Jesus to being scared to death of him. Like, man, we're sorry. Because that was power like they'd never seen. But they, but they saw in him this peace like nothing ever shook him up. He stared down the Pharisees and sent them on their way. Demons that would spook most people, like spiritual stuff that people run from, get you freaked out. Jesus had them bowing down in front of him. There was authority. It was peace. And watch this. And Jesus looks at them and says, you know that thing you've already always seen in me? That thing you've watched operate in me? I'm giving that to you. I'm putting that in you. My peace, I give to you. And then he differentiates, watch Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus is warning us, don't fall for the fake. There's fake peace. And you know what what fake peace is? It's chasing peaceful conditions. You can manufacture a pretty day. You can manufacture a peaceful day. That's That's just conditions. And the world will tell you that that's what you should do. Spend your life managing conditions. Make enough money that you can have good conditions. Build a big enough house for your kids. A lot of parenting today has become, if I get my kids into the right group and they're popular enough and they're making the right team and all that, then they will be okay. It's helicopter parenting. And Jesus says, hey, I'm not giving you that. I'm not promising you no storms. What I'm giving you is that thing you saw in me in the middle of the storm. That guy that day didn't change the storm for me. He changed me. And I kept fishing in the storm. Jesus gives you something that when the storm rages, 
you can keep fishing. Does that make sense, church? That means God's peace is transcendent. It is not conditional. It is not circumstantial. It is transcendent. And that's what we want you to have today as a church. In fact, the way we want to close this day is we desperately, like, we love you. We love you as a church. Our team, when I say we, I'm talking about our pastoral shepherding team, ministry directive team. And we see your faces when we're studying and thinking about this. We thought, okay, how do we want to close today? And here's how we're going to do it. Paul in 2 Thessalonians 3.16 actually prayed for the church under persecution, Thessalonica. The storm was raging. It was real, real bad for that church. It was real bad. Paul said this to them. He did not ask for the storm to stop. He said, now may the Lord of peace, it's a prayer. May the Lord of peace himself, he's the one that has it, give you peace, watch this, at all times and in every way. May the Lord be with you. And we thought, what if we prayed over our church like that? So I'm going to ask you today, I know that like, this is the time where everyone's like, I can make it out the door right now. But I really am asking, I promise you the end of our, our gatherings are just as important as the beginning, I promise. And we understand that there's volunteers and you got need. If you got to go, I, I get that. We're not being mean. But like, if you can stay, I would stay for a few, like five more minutes. Because we want to pray this prayer over you like Paul did. And so one of our great elders and pastors, Pastor Russell, is going to now come and pray peace over you like Paul did for that church. Pastor Russell, would you come?